Hi, this is Patty, and thank you for listening to this previously recorded episode of GalaxyCon Live. We'd also like to invite you to check out our other shows, Rock Around the Ring, featuring music and wrestling guests, and GalaxyCon Talks Comics, all of which are available now on Facebook, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are available. Welcome, friends and fans, to another episode of GalaxyCon Live, where we are bringing convention-style entertainment directly to you. And today, we are talking to two fantastically talented guests. First, she is an actress, writer, and director whose body of work includes Doctor Who, the Jumanji series, The Party is Just Beginning, and of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Please welcome Karen Gillan. I'll give myself an applause. Woo! <laughs> I know you're right there. <laughs> there, 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 there. Trust me, trust me. How are you doing, young lady? You know, I'm I'm good. Yes. I mean, I'm in lockdown like everybody else, probably going a little bit stir crazy. So it's nice to be doing something like this to connect with some fans. We are so glad to have you. And uh, obviously, we look forward to having you back on the stage. But this this is a really interesting new animal we're trying out. And it is so yes. great. And we get to see a little bit of uh, your home. So this glad. This is my home, actually. So there's no spoilers over here. This is someone uh, else's home that I am renting right now. <laughs> Oh, oh, very nice, very nice, very yeah, nice. Point if you can guess whose house it is. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Keep that, keep that coming along. Girl. Next, she, she's an actress and director whose credits include House, How I Met Your Mother, Batman Hush, the award-winning film Sun Dogs, and of course, Once Upon a Time, please welcome Jennifer Morrison. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. See, if I were there, I would have cheered for you, too. This is my Karen cheer. Yay, Karen! <laughs> How are, how are you doing in your part of the world? I'm doing okay. You know, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a really intense time with a lot of unrest for a lot of different reasons. And kind of like Karen said, I think we both felt really excited to spend today kind of reconnecting with community and encouraging people to reconnect with each other and in, in a virtual, safe way. Yeah. So. Absolutely. We're so, so glad to have you. So glad to have you. And speaking of connection, uh, first thing I just wanted to ask is, did you both uh, first meet on the film Alex and the List, a.k.a. Marriage Material, or did you know each it, other beforehand? The List. It's had three different titles. Three? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what is it called now? I don't even know. I actually don't know. <laughs> I, think the, I think the latest title is Marriage Material. Oh, really? I, I believe it is that. Perhaps, I don't know maybe, that I've even heard that one. Yeah, it could be a market. Put it this way. There's two trailers out for it right now. Same same thumbnail and everything else. One is Alex and the List and the other one, Marriage Material. And I think there's two separate years on it. One's listed 2018. Another one's 2019. Yes. Uh, that That is when we met, right? That's, yeah, that's, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've known Karen forever, so it's hard to imagine that I we hadn't met before then. But yeah, that that's when we met. So, and you've done so, several projects since then, correctly? Yeah, well, not long after that, I was directing my first short film, Morning Labels, and Karen was uh, trusting and gracious enough to to decide to be the lead in that for me. Very yeah. nice. So much fun. You guys should check it check it out. It's really good. She's so amazing. I mean, she's amazing in everything, but she's so good in it. <laughs> so good. You, you, you are you are both tremendously amazing. Uh, what I would like to ask is is what uh, what drew you both to wanting to be a performer and an actor. Oh gosh, now it turns into the therapy session. I don't know. Like I feel that mm -hmm. you know what it is? I feel that I okay, right. I don't know how old everyone is out there watching, but <laughs> this is gonna sound awful. But you know when you're drunk and you have this license to if do you're over 21. <laughs> you have this license to kind of be who you want to be, be this version of yourself that's super commanding and confident. I feel that that is what acting is to me. It's like this outlet and I can suddenly not be this like awkward weirdo anymore and make like full eye contact. And it's very, um, it's like a relief for myself. <laughs> That's amazing. That really is therapy. I'm on the couch, so I feel like we're like fully yeah. in therapy now. Um, that's awesome. I, I I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I just sort of like came out of the womb saying I was an actor. I mean, you know, by the time I could speak. I My mom said I came home from kindergarten and I said, I'm an actor. Why am I not in a play? I, I don't I don't know why that was like in me. And then you know, even within that, it wasn't long after that I was starting to direct in high school and things like that. So it was just, I don't know, it just always felt like that was my sense of self was to like be creating in that way. 
All right, let's uh, let's leave the therapist couch and move over to the directing chair. What inspired both of you to uh, take up that side of the camera? Um, well, for me, I think it was... So I look back on my younger years and realized that I was making a lot of horror films growing up in my house, which sounds creepy because I would always kill my dad. <laughs> But he is hysterical. Like I don't know how she can be here. She's way funnier than me. No, but like I would cast my dad in the victim role, and he was my favorite one. We have a great relationship. I will add, it wasn't like some weird like I want you to die. But uh, so he would always get killed. There would be ketchup everywhere, and I would like. I would just direct it and and I have the tape still and one day I think I'm going to release them on Instagram so get ready for that. So I think I just was always attracted to it. I liked the idea of like telling the story rather than being like maybe just a cog in the overall machine even though I do like that side of things too. But there's some sometimes it's nice to just kind of steer the vision a little bit and create something that definitely is your voice. I I've told you this before in person. I'm a big fan of your films. Yeah, I really, I really think, I really think you've you've done out of the gate. I think you've done a really tremendous job, and I'm looking forward to where that path of your career takes you. <laughs> Thank you. And you, Jennifer, by all means, you are no slouch in that department either. You've done some really good stuff, and I've enjoyed your work equally as well. What was your impetus for uh, trying to trying your hand at directing? I think it was multiple things. I did start, like I mentioned earlier, I started directing theater pretty young. So yeah. I, I really enjoy. I knew at a pretty young age I enjoyed kind of shaping the overall picture and having sort of this heartbeat to the story and knowing that I could sort of guard that and protect that and build around it in all the different areas. And then, you know, I, I was so lucky to start working so young as an actor and to work daily for so long. And as I was on set and I was kind of consuming all of the the technical stuff and realizing, I started to get really excited and passionate about lenses and gear and the tech and the, you know, and so then I was like, well, I really want to try this. And I was such a fan of, you know, the the cinema of the 70s and the sort of auteur filmmakers and, and all of the the interesting things that were going on both with acting and directing at, at that time. I think, you know, as I was sort of working on my second show in a row of like six year long stretches, there's something that's like incredible about that, obviously. And then there's also something where you're playing the same person every day for all those years and you have this hunger to cr create, you know, in a new way. And so I think the timing of it was sort of connected to feeling like I was ready to, to add something new to the creative cycle in my life at that point. Absolutely. Out of curiosity, you you mentioned the seventies auteur. Any particular filmmaker that that stands out, or you know, there's so many for different reasons. I can't I can't point to just one, but I, I definitely I have a real soft spot for Hal Ashby because I feel like he has this really amazing balance between heart and humor yes. um, that's very grounded, and and also there's always a very poignant message in what he's saying, but without it being preachy or obvious, it's just sort of yes. in the heartbeat of the film. And so I really appreciate that about him. But a lot of my um, my film education came from reading things, uh, articles, interviews, books, all the things that Scorsese puts out, because he yeah. is such an incredible, like, articulate educator about film. I mean, he's he's extensively worked to protect old films and restore old films and and all those kinds of things. But, you know, like, he's got an amazing series on the Criterion Collection right now. It's yep. called Will, World Cinema with Scorsese. And, like, he's just seen everything. And it's like he has, like, a photographic memory and like, can recount shot by shot, movement by movement, moment by moment. And so there's this way that he talks about film that I feel like really expanded my mind in the way that I could see other films or I could take in, you know, I could watch something. He talks a lot about like B movies and like movies that we might not consider to be excellent overall, yeah. but how important it is to find the things that are excellent within that and to, to build on that when you're working and things like that, where it taught me how to watch every movie, whether I liked it or not, you know, like it, it, it's like you know how to kind of take the good and leave the bad or or appreciate the effort even if you feel like it's a little bit of a near miss and and figure out how to like grow that seed in your own work in some way if it's something that that sort of resonates with you so I, he he's someone who continues to be influential because of how articulate he is about the way he educates about film 
very much so. He and uh, he and Sergei Eisenstein, I think they're the two people that can that made films and then can even dissect their own work in a, in a dispassionate clinical manner and explain <laughs> it with clarity. And it's, yeah, <laughs> and you raise a very good point too about how you don't have if you're studying film, you don't have to like the film to learn something from it. If 100%. you if you could if you divorce yourself from that and just look at it from the technical aspect to the point of what's going on. You will you will accept that knowledge, and you will you will gain from it as a filmmaker. That's tremendous. All right, we've got to the high end. Let's let's have a little fun now. You uh, both worked, of course, on effects shows, makeup effects, special effects. What's the craziest thing you've uh, experienced from working in those environments? That is going to be all Karen. She's gone through things <laughs> that I have never, ever even imagined going through. I mean, I got the text messages when she was in hour four, getting turning blue and oh, having her head shaved. I will say on, on house, there was a fair amount of, of, of blood spurts and some crazy. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got like coughed on and spit on and blood yeah. on all the time. It was yeah. like, oh, someone's going to cough blood cough it on Cameron. If someone's going to throw up, oh, you should throw up on Cameron. <laughs> but I really feel like Karen takes the cake on this one. I feel like this is all Karen. Oh, God. Have you ever done like full prosthetics? Not like that. I mean, oh, except God. for except for when I was in Big Stan and they put prosthetic boobs on me. No. Yeah. Work. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was weird. Where can I get them? <laughs> I have them. I kept them. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that because when I moved, I mean, it was years ago now. I wasn't here to move. I was already in Vancouver doing uh, Once Upon a Time. And so I had to hire like a company to pack me up and move me. And when I was opening like, boxes, I found the prosthetic boobs and I just thought, these people have to have thought of this totally not. They've gone home and been like, Jennifer Larson has these boobs in her eyes. <laughs> I don't know. It felt like it was something I should save. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's just, just makeup effects too. I'm talking on Once Upon a Time, lots of effects, blue screen things. Just yes, yes. oh, yeah. sure. any moment where you just stood there and you're like, "I'm supposed to do this? What for?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about the green screen stuff, Karen? I mean, how does that register for you? It feels as normal to me as anything at this point. Like I, I'm always on green screens. I'm always like, okay, roughly, what is the terrain I'm on? Like, what are we dealing with? Is it windy? Is it not? And you have to ask these questions beforehand. I'm like, and also you have to ask these questions when I'm nebula because they don't put wind machines on me because I have no hair and no <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Oh my god, that's so funny. But no, I don't mind green screen work. You have to use your imagination. Um, and then it's cool when you get to watch it. Yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm starting to grow fond of it in a weird way because although it's easier to be in the environment for sure because you can react to the elements, you know, sometimes it's nice to be in a studio where it's temperature controlled <laughs> and you're not out there okay. dying. And, you know, it gets to the point sometimes where you're like, I just want to be in a nice environment where it's warm and I can have my regular coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it's interesting. I have sort of sim similar sentiments. And also, like, we've come so far in terms of having previs. You know, I am assuming, and the Marvel movies, they have tons of it. But even on Once Upon a Time, we would be able to go and look at the monitor and see sort of a map of what, you know, the chamber or the cave or the castle or the whatever we were in was going to sort of look like. And they'd have sort of the boundaries mapped out. And there'd be a certain amount of practical things there to kind of give us guidelines. And then, you know, I mean, in a way, it's no more ridiculous than anything else we're pretending. I mean, whether I'm on a beach pretending to open a portal with a magic bean or I'm on a green stage pretending to have open a magic portal with a bean, it's it's just as crazy either way <laughs> so you have to you have to do the same homework as an actor to like ground that and find that and and find the substitutions that make that feel real and personal for you and you know so oftentimes I think because we're dealing with sort of sci-fi elements within those green screen worlds it's it's within the homework we have to do as an actor anyway whether we're on a green screen or not yeah. what's interesting on on Avengers the previous now is so advanced that like I would be shooting a, a scene maybe where I'm like fighting Thanos. And what that is, is like a guy in a weird suit 
And then I'm being attacked by a plant. Why have I positioned myself in this plant? <laughs> um, so he'd have like a big stick coming out of his head and then like a tennis ball on the top. And that's what the eye line of Thanos would be because he's yeah. so tall. So like you have to remember to not look at the person's eyes, but at oh. the stick. Yeah. I'm fighting them though, like punch, fight, right? So I'll like film that. And then I will walk to the monitor in the space of 30 seconds and they can show me my character fighting actual Thanos because it's that quick. They're just able to do it instantly now. And I'm just like, how does that even work? Wow. Mind boggling. <sighs> the future. <laughs> <laughs> What's the dream project? What, uh, either, either as, as, as performers or directors, what, uh, what would you think would be maybe your dream project right now? That's a tough one. I mean, <clears throat> I feel like, you know, a lot, a lot of what I've reflected on actually during the quarantine and leading up to all of the civil unrest and everything else that's going on has just been, you know, I think, I think when we're in really uncomfortable, uncertain times, you have to sort of reflect on, what is what are your priorities and what's important and and what is it that you want to contribute to the world so i think my answer to this question might have been different 6 months ago you know a lot of the time that i've spent in the especially during the quarantine time has just been kind of saying no to a lot of things in order to say space have space to say yes to the things that really mm-hmm. make my heart move you know and make me feel like i really want to pour my heart and soul into to this and so I've been really looking to find something that has uh, that kind of like I was saying about Hal Ashby, where there's a, sort of this like heartbeat of a message that lives in something. But as a filmmaker, really looking for something that has that heartbeat of a message, but buried in the storytelling in a way where it doesn't feel preachy or overwhelming, but it actually just feels like you're offering something to the world that helps give people a place to maybe imagine being more empathetic or more open or more engaged in their community or uh, see the possibilities that like, because we all are raised different ways and live different ways that we may not completely understand someone else's circumstance. And so a lot of what I've been searching for are stories that have have those seeds in them, you know, and, and have the potential to, to be able to, to be, to be entertaining and to, and to be, to be emotional and to be all the things you want a film to be, but to also know that there is that sort of heartbeat to the to the story as well. Yeah. In terms of dream project, I would say, I think like I would love to just have one really good crack at a dramatic role, like a really, really dramatic role. I feel like I haven't really done so much of that in my career so far. And when I think back on what I used to do as a teenager and stuff, it was definitely more in that space when I was like studying. Mm-hmm. So I would love to come back to that and do something that's just really, really hard going <laughs> for me, hopefully not to watch. Uh, yeah, maybe something like that. And then as a filmmaker, it's it's my next film, Axe Wound, which who knows if it'll ever get made, but like it's a weird movie and that is such a dream project for me. So yeah, something like in the filmmaking space, definitely something like like maybe with a, a nod to horror, um, but more of a, a performance piece for an actress that is not me because I've done the uh, filmmaking and acting thing at the same time and it was amazing, but also I realized that both of those jobs take everything you've got if you really are putting your heart and soul into it. So I've decided to separate them. <laughs> Actually, I would, I, that's an interesting question for Jennifer. Is like, how do you feel about acting and directing at the same time? I was just yeah. saying, I have a hard time doing both at the same time. Uh, yeah, I have yet to, you've done a lot more of that than I have. I've yet to fully go into that. I mean, I've had little, you know, a line here or there. I do think I'd like to do that at some point, kind of, kind of because of similar what you're saying in terms of, you know, feeling like you really wanted a meaty, dramatic role. I feel like, you know, this business sort of likes to put everybody in a box and go like, oh, this is what Karen does. And this is what Jen yeah. does. And this is how it goes. You know, we know that we have a lot more to us, you know, and, and also I think as an artist, you always want to feel a little bit afraid so that you can stretch, you know, you, you want to take on something that's not what you've done before and you want to take on something that's a little bit scary or or outside your comfort zone and and I don't know that someone else is going to give me the chance to do that so my hope would be that I would get to a place as a filmmaker that I'm comfortable enough you know not just making the film but also putting myself in a role whether it's you know a supporting role or the lead role or whatever I don't know what it would be but to to just give myself an opportunity to like 
be a little bit afraid of something that's outside my comfort zone. You've, you both strike me as, as again, competent enough directors that if it feels right, you'll put yourself in the right role. And I, I don't, I don't, th I don't think you're the type that would do vanity pieces. Well, we'll call you when we're having uh, emotional breakdowns while we're directing ourselves. Ladies, I am I am at your eternal service. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I think we got enough questions uh, from our audience now. So what do you say we take some of them? Let's do it. All right, Jude, take us away. And this first one comes from Kevin and wants to know, if you hadn't gone into, gone into acting, what would you have done? Well, for me, I think it's, I'm going back to therapy again. I think like something in that space. I just love it. Like I, I mostly I read our psychology essays. That is the bulk of my reading in life. I'm just like so fascinated by it. Like, why is this person doing this? What's this kind of mental condition? Like, it's just um, really fascinating. And it definitely ties into acting because I can take that information and thread it into the characters. But I have a passion for it. So something in, in that space, I think. Oh, that's cool. And I'm just like, oh, I have all these things I need to ask you for articles about now. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> we'll follow up after this. I don't know. I think um, I think it's anything that would continue to be creative in its own way, you know, like maybe an interior designer or something like that. I, I feel like I just always love having a project. You know, I love kind of like getting in there and making the thing and, and seeing something you know, like one of the things I've really gotten into since I've had more time is baking, which I had never baked before, nor did I know if I could bake or not. And I was talking to Jerry about it. And he's like, what do you think it is that you love so much about baking? And I said, well, there is something sort of therapeutic and very like sort of Zen about the whole experience, but also to watch something transform. Cause like even baking compared to cooking to me is like way more exciting. So it's like, you, you make this thing and there's this sort of science to it and you're hoping that your science is right. And then if it is, it rises and it has the right texture and it tastes right. You know, so it's like there's something interesting about like you make this thing and then you put it in this oven and then it changes. You know, I, I don't know. There's something interesting about that kind of transformative stuff. So I, I think anything that that feels like you kind of like dig in and you like create something new feels like a, a career I might take on. Uh, when you're baking, are you the type that stares at it with through the glass with a light on, or you <laughs> I, I put it in and forget it until the buzzer goes off? You know, I probably would be staring at it, except that I've been tracking my macros, which is like a whole. I mean, listen, we'd need like a three-hour um, live Q and A for me to explain that what that means. But um, in order to have like balance with my food, which means I enter everything on my Fitness Pal app, so right. whenever I bake. I have to keep track of however many grams of everything I've put in. Oh, wow. So the oven time is when I'm creating the recipe in my fitness pal and then like do the dishes. So that's, it's a good, it's, it's like a little bit arduous, but it's worth it. Cause then you know exactly what your macros are on the other side, but also like, it's a good distraction from like the temptation to stare at it and hope <laughs> that it's rising. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for that. That was, that took us down a fun, fun one. Well, uh, what's next? <laughs> This comes from Caleb. Have you ever played or been on the receiving end of a prank on the set? Pranks? I, my mind always goes blank with the prank questions. There's always pranks all day long. I feel like it depends on the project. It, I mean, I, I think I'm guessing with, I've never been in a Marvel movie, but I'm guessing with the Marvel movies and stuff, there's just such bigger setup times and like there's mm -hmm. sort of space for there to be stuff like that that goes down it's like you know you guys have six months to shoot and you know whatever all these crazy things whereas like pretty much everything I've ever been involved with it's always a time crunch and so it's just there's just not a lot of space on a lot of projects for there to be like I think people think we're all just like sitting around goofing around and like literally every single day is like trying to make the most of every second of every moment and you're trying to squeeze every ounce out of the day that you can get and you know, on, on a television show, you're shooting like eight pages a day, which means the setups have to be really quick. You know, by the time you've walked away from the set and looked at your lines for a couple minutes, you're back on the set doing another yep. setup, you know? So there's not a lot of downtime on the projects that I've been a part of. And certainly when I'm directing, I mean, when I'm directing, it's like, you know, an hour feels like 30 seconds. It's amazing yeah. how, how fast time flies. It's interesting because I, I feel like, you know, I was recently talking to someone who's not in the industry, very, very smart guy who asked, was asking all these questions. And I realized like 
the perception on the outside of what it takes to make a project is so different than the reality of what it is to make the project. And, yes. you know, like I said, every, every schedule is different and every project is different and every budget is different. And that, that influences all those things. But for the most part, most things are always like stretching to get every ounce of seconds out of the day, you know, and, yeah. and you want to get one more setup or one more take or one more, you know, before we're losing deadline. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I really, I mean, I can honestly say I have not really been on sets where there were pranks, but only because everyone has felt those like, you know, that time pressure yeah. crunch. I feel like I have been. I mean like so on on Jumanji, Dwayne Johnson is the prankster. Oh my God. Like he is like truly like loves it. Like all, all day long, like he, um, so we were filming in the jungle and like, this is a small prank, right? So like, it's not this big thing, but like when you're surrounded by insects and with all those beasties in Scotland, <laughs> when there's beasties everywhere, and then he takes a shard of grass and just gently goes on the back of your shin with it. <laughs> like, spider because 100% it is. <laughs> and then you like yelp and run away. <laughs> So it's a very small prank with a very large result. And I <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't surprise me as a prankster because who in their right mind is ever going to call him out? Well, my Dwayne, you're funny, man. No. I think I'm the only one that turned around to the shard of grass that I felt with my hand and a fist. Like, I don't know what I thought it was like, hunt the spider. Like, I was just ready, and then I realized I had my fist up to the rock. I was like, <laughs> "Just kidding! This is not what you think it is." I'm sure he had his million dollar smile. <laughs> yeah. right. well, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Caleb. Thank you for that one, uh, Jude. What's next? This one's from Beth. Out of all the characters you have played, which one or ones have inspired you the most, and which of those characteristics do you relate to? Who's inspired me? I mean, I. Uh... I think in some ways, I guess I would say who has inspired me the most is probably Alison Cameron, just because of uh, the years of schooling and education and knowledge and insight that you'd have to have to be an immunologist and then to also be a part of the team that she was a part of at such a high yeah. level. And then also to be able to find it within herself to sort of grow and manage how intense the environment could be with a doctor like Dr. House. You know, I'm like talking about this as if it were real, you know? So I, I think that she's she's someone who, if she were a real person, I would really admire. You know, and obviously I feel there's things like that about Emma as well. I, I think maybe, I think the character that I've played that I have the most in common with is probably Tess from Warrior. I know that doesn't fit in the Comic-Con sort of- No, uh, everything's on the table. She's just uh, where she came from, or where her heart came from in like certain arguments or where she'd stand or the things that would scare her, things she was fighting for in her relationship and the way that she, you know, really wanted to protect her family and wanted to have a good life with her family. I think a lot of those values were values that I really understood and, and shared with her. For me, I'm going to go with Nebula, which sounds weird because I've chosen to say this. But she's actually sort of secretly blue. No one knows this. But <laughs> yeah. She spent hours making her skin yeah, look like yeah. this today. <laughs> no, I like, I just, I feel like I, I was able to use like a lot of the psychology essays on that character because she's someone who's dealt with abuse from her father from mm. such a young age, not to make it too heavy, but like, he pitted the siblings against each other and yeah. she was the inferior one. She was, you know, the scapegoat. And then the other one was the golden child. And so it's actually quite a common uh, thing to happen within uh, families and siblings. I don't have any siblings. So it's something I had to really read up on. But uh, so I kind of just admire like that she's able to kind of slightly move past that a little bit and like, and, you know, in Avengers, he had to, like, face the source of her abuse um, and then actually watch him get eliminated from her life. And so I think, I think that, I mean, I'm sort of thinking about future Nebula in the sense of, like, she, what's she going to be like now that that source of abuse has, has gone out of her life? Like, how is she going to build herself back up again? Because it's an odd feeling, I think, for someone who's been abused by a parent because they're, still they still love them and they're sad that they're gone but also they hate them and they're glad that they're gone and so 
I think she's just had a really hard time of it, really. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I don't know if it's admiration that I feel towards that, but more maybe like sympathy and empathy. And I'm interested to maybe try and take her to a place now where she's starting to rebuild her for life. We all wait with bated breath for that next chapter in, in Nebula's story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Beth, thank you for that. That was a great one. Uh, Jude, what do we have next? From Chippy. Have you ever taken anything from the set after a shoot is completed? Well, well, I mean, well you're the, we the fault. I took my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> and the thing is, you know what? I've never even answered that question that way because I forgot until you were talking about the prosthetics. But yeah. I really think that, that you should show them <laughs> on camera. They're, they're under the house. I could probably go find them. I. I'd have to do a little bit of digging. <laughs> um, I've taken the binoculars from the TARDIS on Doctor. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Quite them. I was like, these, I've earned these. I've done this for years. I've served the Doctor. These are mine. And so I just picked them and I didn't feel bad. No, I wouldn't feel bad either. No. Uh, Chippy, thank you for that one. That was good. What do you, what do we have next? From Kelly. Uh, what would you say was the most difficult scene you have ever filmed? Uh, for me, probably uh, my goodbye scene in, in Doctor Who. Oh. So I got plucked from complete obscurity to be in Doctor Who. So, like, I, you know, hadn't, had done barely anything but was trying to be an actress and then just got this show and it completely changes your life in the UK. It's crazy. And so it just became this, like, the most defining moment in my life by that time. And so I, to say goodbye to it was really hard because... So much of your identity is tied into this defining thing in your life. Um, and to sort of say goodbye to it felt like I was really, so I wasn't acting in the scene. I was really like saying goodbye to m some of my best friends, Matt and Arthur. I was saying goodbye to this whole identity that I had for myself and everything. So it was like, it was really intense. It it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Well, again, you're... Uh... What the, the interesting thing about about uh, modern Doctor Who is the way it invests so much more into the companion characters, mm -hmm. as yeah. opposed to the utility of Great Scott. What is it, Doctor? And then the Doctor explains to the companion, which is yeah. to the audience. You had, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it still is. But you, you, and you, River, the whole story arcs and everything else just built to that crescendo and yeah, yeah. Moffat really kind of gave us a good good run at it and so yeah for that moment it was like oh my god we really are leaving like we're gonna go out into the world without this in our lives anymore it's weird well the anniversary is coming up in a few years just saying oh <laughs> uh, what what number are we on i think it's coming up on 60 60 Wait, 60 years yeah really yeah really yeah yeah. The 50th was only yesterday. I don't know. I know. <laughs> you think about it. And wait, no, it was about five years ago. Yeah. Okay. I'm old and this is scary. Um, and it, yeah, it's the longest running sci-fi show in the world. It's mad. I didn't know it had been going on for that long. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there, was, there was a break in, in the late 80s to about the mid 90s and flashed on again. And then with Chris Frackelson in 2003, it came back full force. Wow. So, yes, indeed. So. Amazing. Uh, well, that actually made me think about the my last scene on House, actually, yeah. which was, you know, that was like also a weirdly emotional time. They, you know, they were making changes on the show. It was, it was a weird thing to be told, like, you know, Cameron's going to leave the hospital and she's not going to come back. And I was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, they, they just, there were so many characters on the show at that point. I think they, they just wanted to keep keeping the show fresh, which I understand. And also like, you know, what Cameron was doing in the hospital was sort of ancillary at that point in the storytelling. As much as there was a part of me that was like, I know ultimately this is good and it's good that I'm going to move on and have new things. Like Karen said, you know, that was a huge part of my life. That was, I spent a, yeah, at that point, it had been a fifth of my life that I was there. It, it was such a, you know, it was all we had because our hours were so crazy. I mean, a good day on house was an 18 hour day. My very last day on that set was 21 hours. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It was just really, really crazy hours. And so that was really all our, that was my entire life for those years. It wasn't like yeah. there was, there were no dinners. There was no going to birthday parties. There was no, you know, there was none of yeah. that. 
So you, these, these, these were your people, you know? And I had a really intense like walk and talk scene as my very last, I had all this medical jargon and all this stuff. And it was one of those ones where, you know, I'm like just spewing all these medical words really quickly in a walk and talk with my heart pounding, knowing like I was about to say goodbye to this show and I could feel everybody gathering and I could feel, you know, it's like, so you sort of feel the pressure mounting of everyone like watching the last scene. And, and it was just, you know, I, I don't even remember exactly what I was talking about. I just remember it was a lot. And so to stay yeah. focused and to stay grounded and stay in the performance, knowing that me as a person was having a really emotional moment that I had to really kind of bury while I was trying to stay professional and really do my job right, you know, was, yeah. was definitely, it was definitely a tricky <laughs> moment. Whatever the decisions, I think the, the writing served both of your characters at both of those, those exits. I think you, both of you wrote out on your respective series on the highest of horses. Oh, thank you. That we, I mean, yeah, and, I, and I was, I was a fan of, a fan of Doctor Who and I was very much a fan of House and I was like, wait, why is she, that doesn't, does not compute and yeah. But you got to be careful. You're going to become both of our therapists if you keep saying all these things. <laughs> but onward, a better, you know, again, that, that, that's showbiz, as we all know. That's so, it. Well, I'm just like, when did you sleep is what I want to know. Like, how were you getting any sleep? No, I mean, you know, obviously there's the turnaround hours. It was just, it, we we would have these crazy situations where we'd start at like five or 6 AM on a Monday. Right. But if that was an 18 hour day, that would mean even giving everyone their shortest turnarounds and some people forced calls, the earliest you could start was like 9 AM on Tuesday, but then that would push it to like 11 or 12 on Wednesday. And there were times that by Friday we had 4 PM calls. Yeah. And we were on stage. This wasn't because we needed nighttime, you know, like th this yeah. was just because the hours would just keep going. And so, you know, sometimes we would call, we always called them Fridays. you know, we'd start, you'd start at four, four, three or 4 PM on a fr Saturday, Friday, and then you'd finish, you know, mid morning, late morning, whatever the, whatever the math of that is on yeah. Saturday. That's the big difference between American TV and British TV. So in the UK, you work set hours every day. And no matter where you are in the material, you finish at 7 p.m. or whatever they've decided. And you just cut it off no matter what. And they will so simple. I've never even heard of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like basically you're just the same hours every day. And you just have to pick it back up or go back to locations if you didn't get it. But like if you go over that time... People are like, we're going to turn the electricity off. Like, wow. <laughs> the big, big difference. That's huge. I mean, I, yeah, we just, they have all sorts of rules about like, you know, the, the mornings were manageable because at six hours ish and you know, that you can, have, they can pay for a meal penalty, but at six yeah. hours, six to between six to seven, eight ish hours, you have to stop for a sit, sitting meal. Yeah. So you could always go like, okay, I know the morning is going to be six or seven hours long. But after that, you just never knew it was going to end because they just have to keep feeding you. So like at once you get back from lunch at the six hour mark, if they think they're going to keep going, then they have to bring in another meal, you know, but then they can bring in that other meal and keep going. <laughs> so it's, you know, it was just, it was wild. It was really, I really had to learn how to take care of myself. It's really the beginning yeah. of like what my, my journey of like learning self care was like, learning how much water I needed to drink and how many vitamins I needed to take and how to try to like really plan my sleep as much as possible. Because, you know, if they forced my call, which would mean from the time I left set to when I got back was only 10 hours instead of 12. You know, if you have a 30, 40 minute drive home and a 30, 40 minute drive into work, that means you're only really home for eight hours. And then you have to memorize for the next day. You need to eat, yep. you need to sort of do something like a human and that leaves maybe if you're lucky six hours to sleep you know so it's just it really was the beginning of me learning how to like figure out how to to, to, to and, take care of myself properly and, and add another level on to all the medical jargon that your, your character <laughs> yeah. would have had to do yeah. as well yeah. so yeah uh equity and and sag different animals different continents Absolutely. Yeah, and listen, I mean, I'm, I don't say any of that with like a complaint. I feel like I oh, learned no. so much because of all of it, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I wouldn't have changed any of it. I, oh, no. It's just, I think, different than how people like imagine it to be, I think. Oh, very, very much so. So this one comes with Beth. What are some hobbies that you have taken on during the pandemic? 
Well, we know you're doing some baking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else? Have not been baking at all. I haven't <laughs> actually baked anything in my life. Now that I'm thinking about it. Do but you like, like cheesecake, Karen? I love cheesecake. I'll make you a cheesecake. Okay. I've gotten very good. But like a healthy like cheesecake. Oh, you like cheesecake too? I Are like you cheesecake. in LA? Can I? I'm in Orlando. <laughs> I don't know but, if my cheesecake will make it to Orlando, but okay. um, I uh, I have figured out a very macro-friendly, healthy, but tasty version of cheesecake. That sounds incredible. And yeah. I will accept all of the cheesecakes. I will I will send you and I make the crust myself and everything. <clears throat> when Whenever I host Karen, some food, some she always ends up being. Yeah, I fed. always gain food. I think it's because I thought <laughs> about how I don't cook or do anything, and then people feel sorry for me, <laughs> and then they send me cheesecake. And it's great. Uh, my 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 proud point is I can say I gave Karen her very first tootsie roll. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why well, I put that on my resume? <laughs> so, so Karen, did you, uh, yeah, any any. any uh, yeah. Interesting fact, I'm starting to get really into tech. Like as mm. in like Silicon Valley tech. And so I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos and I'm currently building something that I'm really excited about, but I don't want to give it away now because I will properly okay. post this thing and I will tell you guys all about it in a in a proper more detailed way. Yeah, I'm really getting into that side of things, which I, I never expected to happen, but I'm like obsessed with it now. Does that mean like programming or like? Well, uh, I'm building something, but I'm not programming myself. Um, okay. I'm not a coder, but I'm getting coders to do it for me. And wow. Okay. It. it kind of feels like directing a movie and your actors are coders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fun. I like it. We will we will stay tuned to your uh, social media outlets and yeah. uh, see for updates on that. Ooh, crafty, excellent, Beth. Thank you for that. That was a good one. What uh, Jude? What's next from Leo? If you could only compete complete one last bucket list item, what would it be? What would that be? Like any like like one thing you want to achieve in your life type thing. Or yeah, like yeah. Experience. Anything. The bucket list is pretty much just uh, an achievement, an activity, uh, you know. Mine would have been Japan, but then I went there. Oh, oh I was gonna, that's on. That's definitely on my bucket list. What was Japan like? Oh, the best. Amazing. Well, I barely left the hotel because we were there for press. And so mm, mm. then you get sent to these amazing places and then don't get to leave the hotel. <laughs> like, I didn't even have sushi outside of the hotel, which is... Oh, cool. wow. But I like... But I, so I will definitely go back there. That's a big one for me. Um, but even like being in the hotel and my one outing, like I, I, um, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It seems so magical, like just so different than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting point because I know uh, when the, the press junkets for events like the Marvel movies, you know, we see you on the, everybody on the talk shows and doing the things and whatnot. And what people don't understand is, is that everybody picks up, they hop on a plane and they go to another continent and they do it all over again <laughs> that week. Yeah. You know, and you're, just, like, well. you're like, what am I even saying? <laughs> you're repeating yourself and your jet lag, which is yeah. like definitely, it's, it's definitely scary. Yeah. If you like the last Avengers movie, you'll love this one. Yeah. <laughs> Scared of spoilers. Oh, bucket list. I mean, I'm going to say that my my tech venture is a bucket list thing for me. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. And I'm, thing that I'm not giving anything away about. No, I'm very excited about that. So, uh, I mean, I definitely well, would say J- Japan. Japan, I, w- I would put it between either visiting Japan and like really traveling and really experiencing all of the different elements of of Japan. I've been like rewatching all of Kurosawa's movies. I just read his autobiography and. It's just there's just so such like interesting rich history there and and everything that that country has been through and the technology is so different and the the nat- a lot of nature has its like have these you know they have these sort of like miraculous things in nature there too so I'd be curious to just learn more and, and experience that but I also have always really liked the idea of going on like uh, and I feel like my fantasy of this is probably better than the reality. But one of those like big overnight trains that goes around like the coast of the <gasps> yeah. country, you know what I mean? Like mm. I, I feel like I have this romantic vision of what it would be to have like a fancy sleeper car and like go to the dining car. Express, you're gonna get that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, I would put that on that list. 
Ah, very nice, very nice. And just because I'm a Kurosawa nerd, do you have a favorite Kurosawa film? I'm still working my way through the rewatches, so I don't know okay. if I could like say for sure. Just because the ones that I have seen, I saw so long ago that I didn't have the right. same sort of understanding Perception. of filmmaking. Like I wasn't yeah. looking at it with the same lens that I'm looking at it now. Sure. I mean, I just I just rewatched High and Low, which is such a. I mean, my God, the the camera work on that is just incredible, but also just the how intriguing that story is of like someone else's child being kidnapped when they thought it was your child. And then what would you risk to save that child? Like yeah. it's just the question that it poses, the moral question that it poses and what yeah. it asks of, of the character is so profound. It's, it's really, he, he's a man who told very complicated and, and difficult stories, emotional stories, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is one of my all time favorites of his. You know, if it was like not seven samurai, well, it's it's on the top five. Uh, of course, but, uh, of no, course. But <laughs> it's it's the nuance of the storytelling in that that's it's a slow burn at first too. Like I was like, what yeah. is going on? We're still talking about shoes, you know. And then you and then you gotta get like wrapped into it. And you're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So I think we have time for one more audience question. So I'll ask our our producers to pull a really good Jude. And Jude, and this comes from Noreen. If you could give any advice to young women in their early 20s, what would it be? That's a great question. It is a good question. I mean, listen, I think it depends on what your goals and your dreams are and what it is that you want to do in life. But I, what I can tell you is like what I wish I could have told myself in my early 20s, which is to be, this is a tricky answer because, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was so hungry for connection and and wanting to belong and wanting to fit in and wanting to figure out like where I belonged in the world. And, and there was just such a hunger to figure out any way I could find to, to be around people and to connect. And I don't regret any of that. I, I think obviously that that's an important part of our young years is to sort of figure out where we fit and who our people are and who we connect with. But I think I spent a lot of time being anxious about what the outcome of all of that would be. And I wish I could have gone back to myself and just said, instead of being anxious, spend that time doing, you know, like I, and I know that it's easier said than done, but you know, I, I, now I get up in the morning and I journal and I read and I do yoga and I meditate and I go for walks and I'm not, I can't do all those things every day, but there are so many things that, that like light me up and, and set me up to have the best day possible, which puts me in a position to be able to connect with the people that I want to connect with and puts me in a position to be able to create when I want to create and puts me in a position to be able to be inspired by, by things you might not expect to be inspired by. And so I wish I could go to my younger self and sort of get myself on track to, 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 to be doing that, to be journaling, to be going for the walks, to be reading articles, to be reading books nonstop, to be watching movies, whether I like them or not, and sort of having an opinion about it and finding people to talk to about it just being active in my like hunger and curiosity for life a little bit more than instead of sitting in my anxiety of how's this all going to go? Is it going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to do the right thing? You know, it's like, I wish I could have taken that energy and put it to be more active and, and productive at the time instead of, you know, and when I look back now, I'm like, Oh man, what was I so worried about? <laughs> and it's not that those fears and anxieties weren't real and it's not to diminish them in any way, but if there's any way to catch yourself in those moments of anxiety and then turn it into something productive, you're going to get where you want to get so much faster yeah. and you're going to be able to have a full life so much faster. That's amazing advice. I would say that if you're in your early 20s, you're young enough. I mean, everybody's always young enough to go for their hopes and dreams. But like, you know, I, I would say just like go for it. Like, don't don't uh, do the thing where you're like, oh, but that might not work out. So let me just like do this because it's more safe. Um, I don't know. I've just seen some of my friends do that. And, and now they're wanting to return to the things that they wanted to do originally but they didn't do out of safety reasons. And I don't think that leads to a happy life. I don't know many generalized statements, but I yeah. think that it's as simple as like doing the things that you're passionate about and the things that make you happy and like just really recognizing that and then going for it uh, and believing in yourself. And also 
I would say this is more of a superficial one, but enjoy your body that you're in, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, in our 20s, we're all like, ugh, ugh. Um, and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, I looked great. <laughs> Trust me, I feel that way too. I'm like, what was I so worried about? Like, and you, well, all, all of you out there will have that moment. Uh, men yeah. and women, like, you know, it's um, just so just like try to in, enjoy that and, and have fun because you only get one, you know? Mm-hmm. Very nice, right? Noreen, thank you so much for that. And GalaxyCon viewers, this has been Karen Gillen and Jennifer Morrison. Ladies, this has been an absolute delight. Before we go, do you have any final words? Projects, anything coming up that you share with us or just any, any thoughts of the day? Oh, any projects coming up, did you say? Yeah. Um, I Oh, I have a film called Gunpowder Milkshake, which was meant to come out this year, but then we had a pandemic, so it's not. Right. Um, and I don't know when it's coming out, but when it does, check it out because it's a really fun female action film. It's just really cool, and it's got Lena Headey in it, and I feel like this is a crowd that will appreciate that. And yeah, it's just cool, so check it out. Yeah, no, I mean, I would just say as final thoughts, like, you know, and Karen and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, too, is just how how important community is and how important it is to to stay connected to each other and to be open, and, you know, it's, I think it's a really unsettling time in the world right now, but my hope is that 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 will mean that good changes come, you know, that we can make some steps forward, but that those steps forward aren't going to happen if we don't all start the work with ourselves, you know? So I just think the more we can be good to ourselves and, and try to be open and try to learn and try to connect with the people closest to us. And I think we all just need to have a lot of grace with each other right now. You know, everyone is sort of stumbling through a new time and we're all going to take steps forward and we're all going to make mistakes. And I think we just need to, to find grace for ourselves and for our friends and for strangers and you know we, we just it's it's going to take everybody everybody having a real sense of community to, to be able to to move forward and you know it's part of why Karen and I wanted to be here today is that we wanted to be a part of this community and, and sort and and just try to have a little bit of you know a little bit of a connection of heart in this moment yeah Thank I would you. also just add that like there's no, like the, the sense of community that comes with conventions is just so strong. And that is one of the best things about it. It's like, it feels like everybody from all different walks of life comes together and has these shared interests um, that they can, everyone can really express them in this safe environment. And I would definitely say that that's a really great message to, to spread around the world, really. Yeah. Thank you both so much for joining us today on this cyber community that uh, we've created. And we so look forward to having you back live on our stages in front of your fans. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care and keep washing those hands. Yes. <laughs>